Hey everyone and welcome to Livingston First Church. We're so glad you're joining us today. We really hope you're ready to hear a great message from the Word of God. So prepare your hearts, prepare your ears, and get ready to receive a blessing from the Lord. Be blessed. Help. Thank you, Father, that this is a prophetic house, Lord, that you've given us prophetic words. You've given us musicians, Lord. You've given us your word, Father God, and we thank you for that, Jesus. Lord, we ask as we gather to hear your word, to hear the voice of Jesus, Lord, that our hearts would be attentive and responsive to your word. We thank you, Jesus. We honor you and we treasure your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we've been talking about apostolic vision, and I think this is the last one. I'm not sure. We'll see next week. I won't be here, actually, so we'll see the week after. Uh, But uh, today we're going to talk about repentance, the gift of repentance and repentance as a lifestyle, okay? Uh, part of being apostolic people is that we walk in a lifestyle of repentance because repentance gives us the ability to see the kingdom of God clearly, amen? Okay, so we're going to talk about that today. If you'll go with me to Matthew, this is from our Life Journal reading, Matthew chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. I'm going to pound you with scripture today. Okay, there's going to be like six verses. Uh, if you don't, if you can't hang, it's okay. We'll have them on the screen, so don't stress out. But there's going to be a, this is going to be scripture heavy, uh, and I know you guys are okay with that. But I just want to warn you, Matthew three verses eight through twelve. This is John the Baptist speaking. Who remembers what John the Baptist wore when he preached? A camel hair tunic. You guys remember that? So if you see Kim Kardashian or Kardashian. Wearing that, you can say, John the Baptist did it first. (laughs) He's 100% Egyptian camel hair, I'm pretty sure. 300 count thread. (laughs) Proof by, you guys okay? It was a long time of worship, so let's, let's wake up a little bit and prepare our hearts for God's word, okay? It was a beautiful time of worship, by the way. Really good. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming, is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing floor, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with a never-ending fire. And we'll stop there. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Wow. Powerful, sobering words, right? John the Baptist is is preparing the way, and he's preparing the way with a very simple message that Jesus will echo when he makes his way to the scene. Repent. Repent. And and not only is John the Baptist keeping it simple and keeping it very profound and, and, and confrontational, he's actually speaking to church people. He's speaking to the Pharisee and the Sadducee, the people who have made their, their, their religious activities, their spiritual activities about them in a way that fits inside their boxes. 
and he confronts them and he says, guys, you need to repent. See, if you're a Christian and your whole Christian uh, relationship with God is just about showing up, doing the right things and acting the right way, you are in danger. You are in danger. And John the Baptist knows this, and, and part of him is, is, is a little bit aggressive and, and a little bit like coming into the face of the Pharisees. But the other side of that is live. Repent so you can live. There's compassion in that confrontation. There's compassion because John the Baptist knows that if these guys don't make their relationship about re, or their, their religion about relationship with Jesus, they're in danger of being burnt up with a never-ending fire. That's sobering. There is eternity after this life. And the only way you're going to go where you're created to go is through repentance empowered by relationship with the Holy Spirit, paid for by the blood of Jesus. So John the Baptist confronts the church folk and he says, guys, it doesn't matter how you act, what you do, what you say, who you know, and the, the proceedings you do every week. If you are not walking in relationship and repenting as a lifestyle from your sin, you are in danger of eternal fire. Sobering. See, Jesus came to baptize in the Spirit and in fire. He baptizes you in fire to reveal your flesh from what is of Him. And it's much better that you receive His fire now than the eternal fire of hell. <laughs> See, this is not a popular message in America because we like to build our spiritual activities around what we like and what we prefer. But if what you prefer is not birthed out of intimacy and relationship with Holy Spirit, you're building a religion. And if you're building a religion, eventually the enemy will knock on that door and you won't know the difference between Holy Ghost and the other spirit. And you'll let him in and you'll become complacent with sin. And John the Baptist knew that. I don't know how. Guy ate locusts all day. He had to be malnourished. But he had the wisdom to understand if you don't live a lifestyle of repentance, you're in danger. See, in American Christianity, we've reduced repentance to a single prayer we pray when we first give our lives to Jesus. We don't understand that repentance is actually a lifestyle. Repentance is every day waking up, Lord, I don't deserve to breathe. I don't deserve my family. I don't deserve my ministry. I don't deserve my job. I don't deserve any of it. But in your grace, you said, yes, you can have it. And Lord, because you're so merciful and because you love me, I'm turning from what I was never made to carry so I can grab on to you. The word repent actually is translated to reconsider, to turn from. So I was doing this, but I had revelation that it is wrong based upon the scripture, the word, and the blood, and I've decided to turn from it to grab onto what I was made, for, made to carry. See, God's kingdom is made available to you if you're willing to let go of yourself. 
See, you can't have yourself and Jesus. See, you have to make a decision. I'm going to let go of me and grab onto him. Or you can just carry yourself all the way to the grave. (laughs) There is freedom and power available for all who believe. But freedom doesn't come from looking good or acting right. Freedom comes from relationship with Holy Spirit where he can convict you. And say, you know what? That's not of me. Repent. You can show up to church every Sunday of your life and not ever let Holy Spirit convict you. That's a problem. When I'm talking about religion, I'm talking about anything that you institute in your life that is birthed out of your preferences and your experiences rather than relationship with Holy Spirit. That's religion. I don't know if I can. I just made it up. (laughs) (laughs) When I say religion, I mean anything that you birth out of your preferences and experiences rather than intimacy with Holy Spirit. That's religion. Freedom is only available if we're willing to humble ourselves and repent from what we were never made to carry. Without repentance, you cannot claim the kingdom of God and the inheritances he has prepared for you. If you're walking in a lifestyle of repentance, it will change you from the inside out. Okay? Doesn't matter what you look like or what you sound like or your dialect or, or what you think about yourself even. If you're walking in a true, contrite, humble lifestyle of repentance, God's presence will change you from the inside out. See, the Pharisees had it the, 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 the other way around. They wanted to change the outside of themselves so that they could look good on the inside. Doesn't work like that. Repentance changes us from the inside out. But here's the funny thing, is when we allow God to change us from the inside out, eventually the inside of us does get out and it changes the world around us. If you're not walking in repentance, you are ineffective in carrying and building and stewarding the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how put together you are, how you're trending on social media, what friends you have, what cool new ministry you're connected to. If you're not walking in a daily lifestyle of repentance, you are useless to the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Don't hear me incorrectly. God loves you, but until you're willing to confront yourself, you have no business confronting things around you. (laughs) Amen. You may look like a Christian and claim freedom, but unless you're walking in a lifestyle of repentance, you are in bondage. 2 Corinthians 11, 12 through 15. Chapter 11, 2 Corinthians 12 through 15. This is Paul confronting the false apostles. In the New Living Translation, he calls them super apostles in a mocking way. It's kind of funny. You should go read it. The, The Corinthians were so confined by their preferences and what they wanted, they were susceptible to these new teachers that Paul calls the super apostles, they're false apostles, and they preach things that, that scratch the ears of weak believers, like the Corinthians. And Paul is confronting them, and this is what he says to confront them. 
But I will continue to do what I've always done. This will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles apostles of Christ, but I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment of their their wicked deeds deserve. So Paul sees that the Corinthians are settling for themselves and their sins rather than what they were made for, and he confronts them. And he says, guys, you are so predictable. You like the activities of spirituality. You like the forms of religion, but you want nothing to do with Holy Spirit transforming you from glory to glory. You settle for preachers who teach you what you want to hear based on your preference and experience rather than hearing from the Holy Ghost who wants to lead you from death to light. And he says, I'm confronting that. And he says, the way I'm going to confront it is I'm just actually going to double down on what I've always done. You see, sometimes the best way to fight against deception is just to continue to walk in the truth. Did you know that? Sometimes we, the, actually the enemy has a really simple trap. He makes you outraged at the people that's following him and tries to get you to just double down on the outrage. Right? He's not really worried about the fact that you're mad at wickedness because he wants you to make, to make you twice as angry as the people you're angry at. See, us in our flesh, what do we like to do when we're mad at something? We just want to yell louder. When we don't like what people are doing, we just want to be more outraged. We'll double down on what they're doing, but the Lord says, no, no, no. I don't know if you know this, but you can't fight fire by putting more fire on top of the fire. That doesn't work. You know, firefighters don't rush to the scene to throw more fire on top of the fire to extinguish a building, do they? You have to smother the fire with a foreign substance like water or living water. See, Paul's not really worried about the super apostles because he's walking in the truth. And he knows that if he continues in a lifestyle of repentance, Checking himself, watching his own heart, guarding his own spirit, making sure his life aligns with the life that paid for him to live, then the deception of the false apostles will be exposed and Jesus will fight on his behalf. (laughs) See, the devil knows that you're mad. Instead of making you an effective Christian that builds the kingdom through a lifestyle of repentance, he wants you to be controlled by your anger. (laughs) to make you twice a child of hell. He wants you to to be deceived into thinking if you're just louder, angrier, meaner, more disgusted, then you'll overcome. But the truth is you only overcome by the blood of Jesus. (laughs) So when we encounter injustice or we see unrighteousness happening around us, our first response should always be, Lord, examine my heart. See me so that I can be useful in building your kingdom on the earth. You want to see abortion be abolished? Get your life right. You want to see corruption be abolished in Washington, D.C.? Abolish the deceit in your own heart. 
And as you walk with the Holy Spirit, as he empowers you to be less like yourself and more like Jesus, he'll begin to position you in places where his righteousness can vanquish the enemy's destruction. See, this is how the kingdom of heaven is built. We get so focused on what's going wrong, we forget the one who walks us into righteousness. If you want to change the world, you have to let God radically change you first. If you're not walking in a lifestyle of repentance, you will eventually be complicit in the sin you're outraged at. Think about that. If you're not walking in a lifestyle of repentance, you will eventually be overcome and complicit in the sin of your nation. It's important. I want to see strongholds throw down too, but I first must be willing to confess and repent the strongholds in my own life. Have you ever heard anybody say defiantly, usually new Christians, no one but God can judge me, right? You try to like approach someone you love and explain to them like, oh, that's not really how Christians act. You shouldn't do that. And they get mad and they get defensive and they say, only God can judge me. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, we all have. They're right to a degree. But here's the truth. You don't want to get to that point. <laughs> you don't want to stand before God and have him judge you on your own righteousness. That's a bad place to be. In fact, Jesus never taught that we shouldn't judge. Did you know that? Jesus didn't teach that we shouldn't judge other people. In fact, he said multiple times, you'll know them by their fruit. Which means that you're discerning and judging between what is fruit of the spirit and what is fruit of the, of the flesh. So I understand the, 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 what they're saying when they're saying only God can judge me. But trust me, you don't want God to be the final judge on where you go if you're not hidden in Jesus. In fact, Jesus said... Before you put judgment onto anybody else, first judge yourself. Right? He said in Matthew 7, why would you ever worry about a speck in your friend's eye before dealing with what? The plank or the log in your own lot, in your own eye. So in fact, he didn't say don't judge people. He didn't say ignore other people's faults and just hope. He said confront them. But he said before you confront them, deal with yourself. <laughs> We're supposed to confront the world. Actually, and it's part of our eternal inheritance. In 1 Corinthians 6.23, Paul says, don't you know that someday we believers, meaning us who are in Christ, will judge the world? You were made to cast judgment. But you won't be judging the world if you're not first judging your own heart. How many of you have ever been on the airplane and, like me, when they get to the part where they start talking about what do you do when the plane crashes, you just put in your headphones and, and go to sleep, right? Well, if you ever watch that demonstration where they're, like, showing you how to buckle your seatbelt, showing you how to find the... The life, uh, the life preserver that's under the seat. They do this thing about the face masks, right? The, the oxygen mask, not the face mask, the oxygen mask. And what do they say? This is how you put it on. 
tighten it up, breathe. And before you help anybody else with their oxygen mask, what are you supposed to do? Put yours on first. So what they're actually saying is, hey, knucklehead, instead of gasping and dying and strangling yourself for air, before you go and try to help somebody in that condition, make sure you can breathe. Right? Why? Because if you're gasping and strangling strangling for air, if you can't breathe, you're in no condition to think clearly to help somebody else. In fact, you're putting you and the other person in danger. You're actually leading them into death. It's the same thing. If you're not dealing with your own condition, if you're not examining your own heart and allowing Holy Spirit to bring repentance into your life and you try to correct somebody else, you're actually just leading them off a cliff. You're walking them into the same deception that you're living in. You're a blind guide. So Jesus never said don't uh, try to correct or don't try to discern or don't even try to judge. He said before you do any of those things, judge yourself. Because the same measure you judge, you heap of judgment you heap on others will be actually heaped onto you. So addressing the sins of our nation actually starts with addressing our own sin first. (laughs) As we walk in grace and repentance, it actually reveals unrighteousness to the world around us. As I was writing, actually, I was writing in my journal, and that's where this message came out out of. The Lord told me to share, I wrote down a list of questions. The Lord told me to share these questions with you and to pose them into your own heart. So I'm going to read these questions, and I just want to give you a disclaimer. If you get offended or you get hacked off about the pigs in your closet, just remember I got hacked off first. Okay? The Lord told me to share this with you. So, do you have a desire to pray for the sick, to see them healed, to cast out demons, to see the lost saved, raise the dead? And if you don't, why? Because that's the way I've commanded you to preach the gospel. Do you desire to preach the gospel and reveal me to the world in your everyday life? Are you consumed by what you can't do, or are you getting busy with letting God use you with what you can do? Do you find yourself in difficult, uncomfortable, undesirable places praying, God, get me out of here, or do you pray, God, use me to break through in the places I don't see you? Are you afraid to be caught being radical in your faith by your peers, or are you asking God, Would you allow me to burn as a living sacrifice so all men may see you in me? Do you come to Jesus' bride, the church, humble and willing to give your life away in order to serve others? Or have you taken on the spirit of Judas and are trying to leverage your brothers and sisters in Christ to get what you want? Do you moan and weep over the sin in your life and pray, God, whatever it takes, make me more like you, Or do you criticize other people in hopes to cover your own sin? Are you daily falling in love with Jesus? Or are you fabricating religion in your life in hopes to appear spiritual to people around you so that you can be recognized and noticed? Guys, these are the basic teachings of Christianity. 
See, and we build religion to avoid this. And the Lord says, repent. See, you may have heard that list and got a little bit angry or maybe felt a little bit of shame, but did you know that's not how the Holy Spirit convicts? See, as you're being convicted, the enemy's trying to condemn you. You may fall into one of these questions, but that doesn't mean that's where you belong. Conviction actually brings you from death into life. Condemnation robs life from you and keeps you trapped in death. And the Lord says, just repent. Reconsider. See, we may not fully understand the love of God for us. The more you focus on caring for yourself, the more you don't realize you were never meant to care for yourself. <laughs> Matthew 5, 8, it says, this is Jesus said on the Sermon of the Mount, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they shall see God. It says, they shall see God. Do you know we have a really bad habit of making our spirituality and our doctrine and our religion based on our disappointments, on our shame, and sometimes on our sin. Right? We go through hard things in life. We, we can't seem to break out of sin. We feel ashamed of who we think we should be and who we're not. And we begin to build doctrine and we begin to identify God in our lives based on that rather than who he says he is. See, repentance is like Windex. It cleanses our heart so that we can actually see God and identify him by his word, not on what we, what we know. See, you, you may be ashamed of yourself. You may be angry at what God has allowed you to walk through. You may have had experiences that don't make any sense and, and kind of challenge your interpretation of Scripture. But your experiences don't define who God is. He defines who he is. And repentance actually acts like Windex on our heart. And it, it cleanses us so that we can see who God is despite what we're going through. Lord, this doesn't make sense to me. God, I don't really understand this. See, you have two options. You can run to something you know and run to something you're comfortable with, or you can allow repentance to wash your heart and to see where God is in the midst of your pain. See, people who don't walk in a lifestyle of repentance walk in a lifestyle of, of, of experience. They build the relationship with God off of what they've been through rather, on, rather than who he says he is. See, God's word is true whether you've experienced it or not, but the enemy wants you to believe that you have to take care of yourself because your faith will let you down. We need to repent from that. Slowly, our hearts become polluted with disappointment and our own human agendas that look like God but have nothing to do with building his kingdom. Again, religion can be a result of you trying to provide for yourself when you were never meant to care for yourself. How many of you remember the, the, uh, the account of Adam and Eve in the garden eating the whatever fruit you want it to be, a pear or whatever? Remember? How many of you know... <laughs> They weren't Adam and Eve. They were the man and the woman. 
man and the woman are in the garden and, you know, God's like, go for it. Be fruitful. Be, multiply. Enjoy relationship with me. Do all the things I've given you to do. But there's literally one thing I'm asking you not to do. And it's to eat whatever fruit you want it to be from this tree. And what do they do? They eat the stinking fruit off the one, you know, come on. But the enemy tricked them, right? The, the enemy deceives them. And they notice their sin. They notice their nakedness. They notice their vulnerability. And they become afraid of God's presence in their life. And it says God tries to encounter them and they run from him and they hide from him. But he finds them and he confronts them and he says to Adam first, what have you done? And what does Adam say? Eve made me do it. Oh, dude, not cool. And then God turns to the woman and says, hey, what have you done? And she says, the snake made me do it. You see, this is the first marital dispute in human history. <laughs> and people have been fighting like this since that time. See, everybody wants to blame somebody else, but nobody wants to take responsibility for the condition of their own heart. <laughs> it's been happening like that since Adam and Eve ate from the, from the tree. Then in Genesis 3, 20 through 21, we, I want this one up there. Thank you. Then the man Adam, so God... Uh, God tells them about what they've just inherited as a result from eating the apple. Sin comes on them, and they have to now leave the garden. God gives them what they want. And then it says, the man Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. So it says, Adam named Eve. How about that? How many of you wives want your husband naming you? <laughs> Unless it's like snuggy, snuggle lady or like honey <laughs> or snickerdoodle. That's a good one. <laughs> Probably not, especially not after you're, you just got done fighting, right? Like that's a bad time to name your wife, husbands. <laughs> but it says he, names his, he named his wife Eve. How many of you know until that point, Adam had never knew his wife apart from himself in intimacy with Jesus? See, it says in the Bible that marriage is actually not a, a, a ceremony, but it's actually a union between two people, them becoming one. So before their sin was exposed and they could actually see themselves, Adam had never saw himself apart from Eve. They were one person. How many of you know if you want to see healing in your marriage, the first thing you need to do is repent and take responsibility for the condition of your own heart? The second thing you need to do is get out of the way so God can deal with your spouse. It's a good word. And then it says that because God is so gracious and kind, he allows them to get what they want and they leave his presence not knowing what they had done but receiving the inheritance of their actions. And it says that he slaughters an animal and covers them in the animal's hide. See, G or God took the life of an innocent animal, shed its blood to wrap their nakedness in its robes. It was a prophetic sign. 
God was saying, you know what? You don't know what you did. You don't even know what you want. And you're walking away from me by your own admission. I gave you a chance to repent and you don't want me, but it doesn't matter because I want you. And even though you're walking from me and you're not choosing me, you chose yourself in your own sin, I'm chasing you. And there's going to be a day when I'm going to come and I'm going to send my son. I'm going to slaughter and kill the perfect spotless lamb of Christ. Spill his blood so that you can be wrapped in the robes of his righteousness and your brokenness would be covered. See, this is how you want to stand before the Lord. Repent of Lord, I don't deserve you. I've chosen myself time and time again, but your mercy and grace has came after me, and I receive you as my righteousness. See, the first Adam went to a tree to get what he wanted. The second Adam went to a tree as well, but he went to the tree to give us what we didn't deserve. Life in him. Guys, it's important that we live a a lifestyle of repentance, that we don't water this gospel down to one experience, that we don't water the gospel down to what we've experienced, but that we walk day in and day out from glory to glory. Lord, change my heart. I don't want to be me. I want to be like you. I want you to consume me so I can then allow you to consume the world around me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Jesus, for your blood. We thank you for your robes of righteousness. And Father, I ask now that as we stand before you, a few days before Thanksgiving, Lord, that there would be a spirit of thankfulness in our hearts. A spirit of thankfulness of, for what you paid for on the cross. That despite our brokenness, despite our, our, our death, God, that you sent your son perfect and spotless so that we could have his life. And we could impact the kingdom or the world with the kingdom of God. So Holy Spirit, come. Fill us with a spirit of repentance. Father, that we would be one with you again, that we would be in union with your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that the Holy Spirit truly ministered to you through this message from the Word of God. If you'd like to know more, look us up at livingstonfirstchurch.com or follow us on social media. And we look forward to seeing you in person soon.